right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss. I'm a licensed therapist specializing in OCD and anxiety disorders. Thank you all so much for joining me for this episode. So for those of you who are new, this is a question and answer-based podcast where you get to send me, the therapist, uh, questions about, guess what? OCD and anxiety stuff, and um, I will uh, read it, consider it, and likely put it up up on a future episode, just as I am doing today. If you want to send me a question, go over to fearcastpodcast.com, click on the Submit a Question link, and follow the directions, send me that question. If you would like to jump to the tippity-top of that list, you can send me an audio question, and I will record that a lot faster, which is what's happening today. Um, uh, you can send me the uh, uh, your recording over at um, uh, the submit a question link at Fearcast Podcast. You can also send me that that uh, recorded audio just to questions at fearcastpodcast.com. Uh, you can also go over to Instagram, which is um, probably the easiest way to do that. Uh, just send me a direct message over there. I am Fearcast Podcast over at the Instagrams, and you can send me an audio in the DM. Just click on the little microphone thing, record the thing. I will get the thing, and I will put the thing up on this thing. Um, what will usually happen again is that they have you record in like minute snippets, but I, through the magic of technology, edit them together and it sounds like one question. For the most part, my editing skills are only so good, but you know what? Um, it's the, it's the best I can do. And, and isn't that pretty sad? So, and I'm, I'm quoting from a, oh gosh, my colleague of mine, um, the great and powerful Kelly Frankie told me about a Instagram thing that um uh stewart from the ocd podcasts uh it's a lot of connections right there um called oh my gosh is it called demotivational oh no this is terrible that i'm forgetting the name of it this is completely useless moral of the story is they're disappointing affirmations i giggled way too much with this so thank you kelly thank you stewart um Go check them out. They're, they're a delight. If you want to giggle at what s- looks like and sounds like something that should be encouraging, and yet it is not, it is that. Um, to that end, if I'm making recommendations, ADH Dinos is another one of my favorites. Go check them out. Very, very funny stuff. I'm using some of their memes or some of their comics in my talks this uh, uh, summer for the conference. To that end, everybody... If you are going to be going to the IOCDF conference this summer in San Francisco, um, I will be there. I'll be giving a couple of chats with various folks. You can uh, find me, say hi, high-five me, shake my hand, or uh, or ignore me. Just promptly ignore me at every turn, and that will also be uh, acceptable and understandable. So, But if you're going to be there, it'd be awesome to see everybody. Uh, it's going to be super fun um, to go again this year. So... I think that's all I got. Oh, thank you all. Um, for those of you who listen and those of you who showed up to the various OCD walks, um, it, it, I know it means a lot to the IOCDF. I know it means a lot to the individual affiliates. I think it means a lot, and I hope it means a lot, to the individuals who went to know and to see very clearly who is supporting and that there is a community, there is a body of people getting together uh, to show support and encouragement and knowledge and understanding and compassion and love for those who are in the OCD and anxiety community. That is what I think the walks do very, very well. And I'm so sorry, I forgot this person's name, but to the person who at the, the, um, 
the the uh, Costa Mesa walk who came up and introduced themselves. Um, I, I I was so awkward and I apologize, but I really appreciate you coming over and being so bold to say hi. And uh, it means so much that that you would listen. As I told I told her this, and I, I will tell you all this. It somehow surprises me that people listen, and then when people do come up and say hi, um, it 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 throws me off. Like oh yeah, they do, and I know they do, but it's it's silly. I've always I I do this by myself. I've I've done this knowing that I'm I'm going to do it until I stop getting questions, and it just means again the world to me. And it's a, some it's a pleasant surprise that people do listen, and I, I I love that you are all a part of this as well. So why don't we just why don't I stop my yammering and just get onto this? I'm going to try to get to two questions today. I have the audio question, and then I have a uh, an emailed question um, that that came in a while ago, and I will answer uh, that one. Um, so let's go on with the first question. And the first question uh, comes from Jane. So here is Jane's question. Hi, Kevin. I've been dealing with ROCD throughout my current relationship. We met while I was studying in the US and since graduating, I've had to return home and we're now long distance for the time being. I'm finding this new chapter harder to navigate as I feel most ROCD advice becomes a bit blurred with long distance relationships. The usual approaches of focus on the now rather than dwell on the future get lost on the fact that this relationship survives on contemplating the future and making plans. Two things have always been great triggers for me and the whole feel the fear and do it anyway feels a bit glib considering that the it in this situation is one of us potentially uprooting our entire life to move to a different country in order for it to work which would be stressful for anyone let alone someone who has a disorder that causes them to doubt everything right now I'm unsure how to move forward it feels it's hard to feel present in a relationship that relies heavily on what's to come and it's hard to not feel intense guilt when discussing a future with someone you feel so unsure about especially when it feels like there's a lot more at stake here than the average relationship if what we try doesn't work out as always i'm interested to hear your advice and thank you so much for all that you do all right, Jane, thank you so much for sending in that audio question. So she sent that over. Uh, she sent me just a direct email at questions at fearcastpodcast.com. So thanks so much for sending that over there. So Jane, um, I th- again, thank you for sending in that question. And uh, long distance relationships are so stressful. Relationships are so stressful. And what I was hearing in a, in a lot of this, I my heart goes out to you in this. It sounds like you have considered this pressure, this this relationship, and the the complication that ROCD is placing on your relationship. You've considered it quite a bit. I, I'm I'm willing to bet you've read about it. You've asked people about it. Um, you know, you, you you say people just say focus on the future, right? And folks, the focus or. or um, or don't focus on the future, rather, but but focus on the current relationship. Um, you, you also said, you know, it's, it's glib to say, just feel the fear and do it anyways. Um, I, I hear what you're saying, and I'm guilty of this too, when I get questions, and even when I'm in session with clients and they ask me things, and, you know, sometimes you throw out the, 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 the quippy things that are, that are easy. They're also true, right? Feel the fear and do it anyways is one of those things, right? Feelings are not facts. It's another thing that we say. Um, th- there are a lot of phrases that we'll throw out there. And yes, they are true, but you know what? Over time, once you've heard them, they can start to feel 
um, they can start to feel insincere. Um, and I'm wondering that if that's how you're feeling. I also wonder if it feels insincere because it starts to feel like it's, it's, I, I wonder if it starts to feel insincere because either it doesn't feel like it's getting at, getting at an answer for you or it's just not taking away the anxiety and the uncertainty. And you know what? They never were supposed to. And I'm not saying that's is what's happening, but, um, you know, I'm wondering if the, the, the hope was some of this advice and guidance was going to give you a clear direction on what to do in the relationship. It sounds like your two main questions are, or basically, how do you move forward? Uh, you, you added that. So you said you, you also said you're kind of struggling to maintain or struggling to remain present in the relationship. Sounds like you're kind of going off into anxiety land and thinking about what's going to happen and what are the repercussions and and um, uh, how is it all going to fall apart, et cetera, et cetera. You said it's, it's hard to not feel guilt when discussing the future with someone you feel is so uncertain about. Right, right. That's kind of what ROCD does. Within ROCD, there's going to be this default, complex, emotional place that you're in. You're both in love with this person. You love them, or you very much like them, and you're, you're, you are making plans for the future. You're thinking about where you two are going to go in the future together, what type of life that you want to have. You also have this, um, you know, this, uh, uh, to, to, to borrow the terror, not terrible. This is a good phrase to borrow the phrase from an old show. Now, Dexter, uh, you have this dark passenger, this third in your relationship, as it were, um, that comes along with you. And that is the feeling of uncertainty in the thoughts uh, of doubt. And that's kind of the line that someone with ROCD often straddles, right? They love this person, and they're not sure about this person. They want to be with this person, maybe. They want to have a life with this person. And they hope that this is a good person and not the, you know, not the, not the other person they were supposed to be with. Or, man, that person in the future that they, is going to click with them and be the perfect person. And there's that worry that maybe you have chosen the wrong person. So... All of that happens at the same time, and part of what part of what's there to do within ROCD is to sit with those questions and to sit with the reality of the uncertainty, the existential reality of it, and not making it something then that is a tangible here and now I need to resolve the uncertainty. Because it sounds like in that, oftentimes with compulsive behavior within ROCD, is that the compulsive behavior revolves around eradicating the emotional experience and getting full certainty about this person, and you do therefore pull yourself out of the relationship put the relationship and your interaction with it on pause to figure this thing out. The idea of then re-engaging with the relationship is important. And you're essentially saying to that feeling, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get emotional certainty. And I'm gonna say that the emotional certainty feeling is okay. It doesn't mean you like it or love it. It doesn't mean that it's a good you know, a, a, a benefit to the relationship, right? Or trying to convince yourself that we all should have uncertainty in the relationship or whatever lies we try to tell ourselves about anxiety to make it feel, quote, okay. 
It didn't mean that you like it, but you, you're saying it, it's there. It's part of it, right? Part of getting in relationships is also getting in fights with someone because two people aren't going to be the same and two people are going to fight. We all know that as a default within a relationship. Now, sometimes we're going to fight more than other times and other relationships are going to fight more than, than others, but it's, it's part of it. If we can accept that uncertainty, if you, Jane, can accept that uncertainty as a default, just part of what you of where you're at, can you then let go of trying to get the uncertainty or trying to get rid of the uncertainty? Can you then say part of part of the musical chairs of my relationship isn't trying to fight fight it or fight my experience for the one chair that's there, for the one thing that is possibly there, but to say there can be two chairs and two players here. The other player is uncertainty, and you as the other. So we're not fighting that feeling. It's casually acknowledged. They happen to be there. They are neighbors, but they aren't, um, they, they aren't you know, warring countries, right? It's going to be there. You acknowledge that you have that feeling there. You know, if you were here in my office, I'd love to hear about what, what other history of OCD symptoms you've had, what sort of thoughts you have related to the relationship. Is there something going on in the relationship that is contributing to doubt? Um, you know, I, either this was a question on the podcast or a question from a client, but I think they, or a question I heard somewhere. But it was like, yeah, they, they had questions and doubts about the relationship, but the partner was also acting super sketch. And, you know, from an outsider's perspective, it sounded sketchy. So, are there things that are contributing to it? Now, I don't think, I don't necessarily know, Jane, if there are, but that would be some of the stuff that I'd want to be working on to kind of elaborate on, right? Has this, has this pattern always been there? Has, has, has there been this, these questions of doubt? Is there a pattern of anxiety and uncertainty, right? Is there a general fear of making decisions that are catastrophic or making, um, you know, irrevocable changes and irrevocable decisions in your life, right? Meaning making changes that you cannot go back on. Because from that perspective, I see no difference in this case, in your case. You're saying, feel the fear and do it anyways, but the it is uprooting your life and moving to a whole different country. I'll agree with you. It is, that would be stressful for everybody. But how is that different from someone who has anxiety and they are on the cusp of getting married, it is also a very big decision that that involves wrangling two people, two people's families together, legally binding two people together, right? That that can you know theoretically is going to be there forever. And I will also say, both of these things can be undone. You can get divorced; it does exist. You can break up and move back to your home country. These things are possible. When anxiety, especially the ROCD set, suggests, boy, if you make this decision, you, you better make it right because if you don't, it's, you're ruined. Your life is destroyed and you're just going to be unhappy, tied to this horrible you know, monster that you hate and they hate you, and whatever the thought is, right? You can say, you know what? Maybe they are going to become this and maybe I am going to be saddled with this person forever. There's also the out. I can also get divorced. I can also work on this and go to counseling. Uh, 
Meaning I don't have to have, you, Jane, do not have to have all of the answers moving forward. But instead, do you have confidence that, you know, if things, if, if it were to hit the fan, as it were, could you handle it? What would you do? If things started to go south, what would you do? Would you sulk and sit and be angry at life for the rest of your life and just crawl into a closet somewhere and, and, be, and be angry about the, the progression of things and know that your life is over? Or would you say, gosh, this sucks, and I'm going to reach out to friends and talk to them and um, try to, try to uh, talk about it? I'd go to couples counseling. I would try to address relationship issues with my partner as it, as it arises. Right? I hope you get what I'm getting at here is that can you, can you build some confidence in yourself that if things were to hit the fan, you could handle it and you would try to do something. But we're going to call all of that future use problem. The, 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 the decision on the end or the, the problem in the future then may be a problem if and when it arises, but it's not your problem today. Your problem today is, do you want to call them now or in like 10 minutes after the show's over, right? I totally agree with you, by the way, um, that this relationship that you're in, the long distance, thrives on the future and making plans. That's how relationships are as well. It's, it, it does thrive on the future. Where are we going in life? What are we doing? Are we going to have kids? What are we going to do with those kids this summer? What, what are we going to, you know, what colleges are they going to go to? Do we want to go on vacation? Do we want, what are we going to do for our anniversary, right? All of these are future-based things within a, a marriage or something like that, a traditional monogamous, whatever, you get the idea. But relationships are that balance between, yeah, we are going to make plans for the future. We're going to focus on today. And we're also going to recognize that all those future-based plans are kind of held in pencil or kind of held softly, that things could go south and go weird, but we still make those plans knowing they can go weird. You make plans to fly across the, uh, fly across the ocean or the country or the world to go spend time with that person not knowing if that plane flight is going to be canceled, but you make plans anyways, Right? We make plans to go out on Friday night, not knowing if the place we're going to go is going to burn down on Thursday. But we make plans anyways. And when we find out that the place burned down on Thursday, we make new plans. And we adapt when we get that new information. So Jane, that's where I would encourage you to consider is bringing yourself back to the here and now, saying, I am going to try to make the best relationship I can. Now, I'm going to recognize that, man... I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if the relationship is going to burn down. But it hasn't yet. But I'll deal with it when it does burn down. And I'll make other plans when it does. It's one of the ways that we let go of the responsibility of fixing things in the here and now. You accept as well. That thought is there. Yeah, it is there. That feeling is there. Yeah, it is there. But it doesn't mean that's a fact. It doesn't mean that it's your responsibility to eradicate because you've had it for a long time and you've fought against it and you've tried to convince yourself otherwise and it is persistent and remaining and you say it doesn't make any stinking sense so much so that you sent a ridiculous podcast during this question. Yeah. We trust and treat it as if it doesn't make sense. We trust and treat it as if it is 
disconnected from you? If it is, again, Jane, if you were in the office, we'd talk about is there is there a there there? Is there something else that is contributing to this or is there not? And if there is something there, you address it. We talk about it and we're gonna we're gonna work those issues and that doubt out as if it as if OCD were not even in the room. That's also important. Relationship OCD is this balance between real relationship issues and OCD. It's not like people with ROCD actually have fantastic magical relationships and just this monster of OCD is in the way. It's both. It's that they have real human relationships that are weird and wonky and imperfect, and then OCD grabs onto those and puts a rocket on the back of it and makes it worse. So we're drawing that balance there. What are you doing to make this the best relationship you can? And how can you let go of the uncer- or the, the certainty and embrace the uncertainty about your future. So, Jane, those would be my thoughts on this. That's one way that you can remain present, make space for that feeling. Remember that there is a you, the deep down you, I'm kind of talking from an act perspective, the deep down you that motivated you to call me, to message me. That part of you is fighting for the relationship. That part of you wants the relationship to work, ostensibly, right? Listen to that version of you and know that that's maybe what your value is. So then despite the feeling, what direction would you go in? What could you do? Where would you want the relationship to go if the anxiety was not there? And that is how you slowly start taking steps towards a value. So, Jaina, I hope that helped. I'm, I'm going to leave it there since I've done a lot of yammering on. Um, obviously, you could talk about um, exposure and response prevention. You could talk about um, uh, couples counseling. You could talk, we could talk about specific cognitive restructuring exercises, right? But a lot of what ROCD's treatment, from, from my perspective, can be worked on with is ACT and is accepting the presence you're in, the realities of what relationships are, and progressively moving towards a relationship that you desire. And knowing that some, a lot of relationships don't work. I love the line from uh, Dan Savage. Every relationship you're ever going to be in is going to fail until one doesn't. And I'll add to that. That one will fail too, because one of you will die. And you know what? Then the relationship's over. So this one might end too. Or won't. But we can't then sit with this needing to know the exact timeline and the exact expiration of it, of it before we keep moving in it. Because otherwise we've already signed its death warrant. It's a very weird way to say that. So again, Jane, to that end, I'm just going to back out of this. So thank you so much for the question. And I hope that was helpful. So I'm going to jump into this next question. It's one of those ones where I'm going to have to do some reading. So I apologize for my um, terrible reading skills. So here we go. This is from Chloe. <clears throat> Chloe says, um, Hey there, I've been a long-time listener of the pod, uh, and it's been a tremendous help in my recovery. My question is, can you get obsessed with the recovery uh, to such an extent that it becomes a new compulsion? Uh, I've been doing ERP on my own for a while since I haven't been able to go into therapy, and due to the fact that there is virtually no one in my country who specializes in ERP and OCD treatment. 
The first few months were okay. I managed it quite well following the advice of books and the IOCDF website. I have contamination OCD and reading OCD. I've been exposing myself to, quote, dirty subs or dirty surfaces and not washing my hands afterwards or washing them as little as possible. I've also stopped all the rereading. But in the last two months, I've noticed that my obsession has changed and now it focuses on my recovery to an excessive level. Now I go out of my way not to wash my hands. But every time I'm forced to wash my hands, um, uh, when I uh, either enter a shop or something, I get real upset. And on some occasions, I even have an anxiety attack and break down in tears because my brain tells me that if I wash my hands once, uh, that I'll have to do it twice. And in no time, I will fall back into my old patterns and wash them compulsively again. The same is true with reading, um, or I suppose rereading. Reading, but they said reading. Anyways, in school, I have to take tests, and I can't bear having to reread even just a little small line. When uh, when I read instructions, I'd rather make up for I'd rather make up stuff rather than go back and read the step again. When I read labels, I would make sure to never reread, even if it's uh, important stuff like the dosage. I suppose label on like medication and stuff. Uh, reading stuff uh, important stuff like like dosage. Now I feel as if avoiding rereading and washing my hands as much as I can feels more like a compulsion than a recovery process. No human can possibly go their whole life without rereading, not even once, or without washing their hands not even once. It's just a very thin line between sanity and insanity in my mind. One misstep in my life could go back to OCD mode, to OCD mode, and I hate not being able to read anything or go outside due to my fears. Can you give some advice on this? And do I and, and I, I, I do wonder if others struggle with this during their recovery. Thanks a lot. Chloe, yes, they absolutely struggle with this. Um, my question is, let's see, you said, uh, can you get obsessed with recovery to the extent that it becomes a new compulsion? Yes, absolutely that can become a, a, a compulsion. Sometimes we'll call this a, a secondary or a, a, a secondary obsession or a, sec, a, a second tier or second level, uh, yeah, second level extension or c- obsession. Come on, words. I, I can word today. Anyways, um, it can become a, 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 a second level, second tier, whatever I called it the first time. Um, obsession. We're obsessing about now our, our, uh, our obsession. Recovery for some folks becomes the most important thing to them, right? And that's what we talk about. OCD latches on to the thing that you value the most, so, if previously it was your cleanliness or, you know, misreading something, yeah, that's still important to you, but boy, oh boy, you're sick of being sick. So, you're wanting to do it perfectly, do treatment just right, so that you never have to deal with that stuff again. You'd, you're going to drive yourself nuts trying to stop yourself from being nuts. Oh, it's the most offensive thing I've said in a while. But you get what I'm saying, right? It can feel that way. All right. So, one of the ways... Oh, think about this way. Let's take a step back with all manner of OCD. A a smarter person than me once said, in order to overcome your fear, you have to be willing for your fear to come true. Okay? So, in order to overcome your fear of contamination, you have to risk 
being contaminated and whatever the feared consequence of that is, right? In order to overcome your fear of misunderstanding something, you have to be open to the possibility of misreading something and missing information, right? Okay. In order to overcome your fear of doing treatment wrong, you have to be open to doing treatment wrong and never getting better. It's a very backwards way to think about it. You have to, you have to be, you have to be okay with never getting better in order to get better. It's weird, right? But that's ultimately where we're going at here. Anxiety, your anxiety, your OCD has said, this is the perfect way to do it. This is the right way to do it. This is the way that you get better and you have to do it in just this way or else. And it's the or else that is pulling you right back into this. And it suggests that if you just, as you said, it's this thin little line. If you, if you just mess up once, back to the beginning with you. I'm here to tell you that's not how that works. You, Chloe, are able to make mistakes. You, listener out there, are able to make mistakes. You're going to. I'm going to. Probably today. We make mistakes as people, and that is okay. It is never a problem that we make mistakes. If you don't make a mistake in life, it's probably because you're not doing something. It's probably because you're not trying in life. Chloe, I want you to make mistakes and not be perfect. What you discover in doing that is you discover that you can be imperfect and that you don't have to worry that every single step along the way is rickety and is brittle and could easily break and let you fall through into the abyss. We make mistakes sometimes. We trip and we fall and we get right back up and we keep on going. I expect that you're going to rewash your hands sometimes. I expect that you're going to reread something sometimes. And it ain't the end of the world. It ain't the end of the world. Now, some things to think about with this then is, all right, I've, and by the way, this sometimes happens when people just straight up avoid like washing. I was talking to someone about this earlier today. Client was um, <clears throat> taking like two hour showers, two hour showers, everybody. Their solution was to take no showers ever, as if that was a solution, because don't you know the solution to uh, washing too much is to wash less, right? I mean, everyone knows that. So they went, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to wash at all. Won't that be great exposure? It's not. It's what we in the biz called avoidance. And it's just another compulsion, right? It's just a different compulsion for a different type of thing. Because OCD, for that person, wants to suck them back into just doing it just right, to doing it in a way that it dictates. Not the way that you want to, but the way that it defines it for you and for them. So for you, it's, you're going to wash your hands. We're, we should wash our hands, everybody. It's important, right? In a reasonable manner. Now, reasonable is going to be up for interpretation, but whatever. Go with the 30 seconds, happy birthday twice, or whatever it is that CDC or whatever country you're in says. It's going to be kind of like that. And then anxiety is going to say, but you have to do more. Okay. Whatever amount you've decided, OCD wants you to do a little bit more. 
Now, let's say you did exactly what OCD wants you to do. It will be happy for about 30 seconds, and then it will say, oh, gosh, you know what, Chloe, why don't you do just a little bit more? Just, just a little bit more. Okay. We're backing up. You and I are deciding what it is that we're going to do. Not what's, quote, right, especially according to OCD. We're, we're deciding what we're going to do, whether it's right or it's wrong, cosmically or OCD-wise. This is the way we're doing it. If you were going to wash your hands for 30 seconds, that's what you're washing your hands for, period. Hard stop. If you're going to read once, you're going to read once. Now, by the way, sometimes we're going to read twice, and sometimes we're going to just read once, and we're going to keep moving on. In each of those examples, re-washing re or rereading the compulsions, right? They don't, they don't fully 100% accomplish the thing that it says it's going to do. The function of that compulsion is deceptive and a lie. You could wash your hands for an hour and still miss bacteria. You could wash your hands for an hour and still get sick right? People wash their hands so much that their hands crack and bleed, and they get infections through the cracks and they're bleeding. Guess what? Compulsion of washing did not help. All it did was help anxiety. It didn't help them not get sick, is what I'm trying to say, okay? You could read and reread and reread and still mess something up, or miss something, or misunderstand something. What we're trying to do with this is is resist the urge to be perfect and to get it totally right. So we're risking making mistakes and being wrong and being open to making mistakes, which is the same position that everybody on earth is ultimately in, Chloe. And that's where we're trying to be. So what are some things that you can do about this? Well, it, it can depend. Well, first off, the main mindset is be open to making mistakes. Okay. If you, if you reread, you shake your head off, you shake your head and you keep moving forward. You shake it off. I guess not your head off. That would, that would be bad. Do not shake your head off your body, but you, you shake it off and you keep moving forward. Whatever, I, I, whatever you wash your hands. Oh, I washed my hands twice. Well, all right, whatever. Now, with both of those, you can, you can quote, recontaminate, right? If you wash your hands twice, go touch the bottom of your shoes. Go grab the tap handles. Go touch the doorknob with your direct hands, right? Touch the toilet for all I care. You can recontaminate and then say, you know what, whatever, I'm still dirty. I'm getting on with my life. With the rereading, you could say, you know what, I, I, I reread, but I could still miss something. It's not saying I'm going to screw it up or you're intentionally making it wrong, but you're still saying, but I still could mess this up. And you could. And accepting that existential uncertainty about what may or may not happen is one of the ways to do this. With all things within this, we want to be deciding what action we're going to do, attempting it, but also saying that no matter what you do, I might have got it wrong. You can write scripts. Scripts can be fantastic. These stories about how despite all the effort you're doing and in putting into therapy, your life progressively gets worse and worse and worse, despite all the hard work you're putting into it. It's another way to deal with it. The other thing, I mean, you can intentionally make things imperfect. You could wash wrong, right? You could, I was going to say, you could misread something, 
But it also sounds like what we're trying to do with the misreading is just be open to the possibility that maybe you read it wrong. So whether or not you read it once and you, I suppose it'd be depending on, this is the problem with not having people in the room. For a client, I could certainly imagine the exposure being, you're going to read the instruction once and you're going to do it. Whether or not it's right or wrong, excepting you may have got it wrong. Or you may have nailed it, but you could have gotten it wrong, right? And if you happen to reread it out of compulsion, you're still going to remind yourself, well, all right, I messed up and I, I, I might get this wrong. But we're letting the wrongness be future use problem yet again, right? It's future use problem. We'll have to see what happens. So I hope a lot of this makes sense. This would be my... This would be the, one of the ways that I would start to approach this is the openness to being wrong. How can you kind of put your head in that space that maybe you're going to do things incorrectly and maybe, you know, and again, to that point, that you never get better, right? You do ERP and you try to do it perfectly. You do exactly what your therapist says and exactly what the book says. And you just continually get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. So... That would be one of the approaches to do. So, um, but again, I, I, I would love to hear feedback from other people. If there was something that I missed or something that you wanted to add for Chloe um, or for Jane, let me know. And this would be the time that I should slide in that music. So thank you all for so much for joining me for this episode. Please remember that the FearCast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you need a little bit of help in your recovery, go over to fearcastpodcast.com and there's going to be a, a link that says uh, find help. There's going to be some stuff that will be able to uh, point you in the right direction there. If you are going to be in San Francisco in the next couple of weeks, um, drop by, say hi, come and find me. Um, I will be the person who looks lost and confused confused probably um but if you're going to be there awesome um and uh, it's going to be a fun opportunity for everybody so um why don't i leave it there everybody until next time take a risk challenge yourself and don't take your brain too seriously 